There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie. Starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. Hey, and we are gonna start right here hello you are listening to a radiligion broadcasting premiere podcast triple feature i'm your host the mandated reporter and frankly i'm mortified mr mark radiligion tonight on the marquee is everything, don't you understand? Everything, everywhere, all at once. A film by Daniels. Uh, we'll also be talking about Spiderhead, starring Thor, otherwise known as Chris Hemsworth, currently on Netflix. Why do you and, lie to the people, Mark? <laughs> and finally, shut up, shut up, disembodied voice. And finally, from HBO Max, yet another remake of the classic Father of the Bride, this time starring an all Latinx uh, cast. Please featuring don't do that. Featuring Andy Garcia. I What? Sorry. Sorry. That disembodied voice that you hear behind Cthulhu, who is running for president, is my co-host with the most, the host of Damn You Hollywood, Mr. Robert Winfrey. Sir, I tell nothing but truths. Don't you understand? Okay. Honestly, you want to have policy. you want to have truth? You want to have a truth discussion? I would love a truth discussion, especially. Do you know you where that's so truthful? Do you know where that stupid Latinx thing comes from? The X Men. No. <laughs> it's a what? ludicrous thought experiment thought up by people who have nothing better to do with their time than complain that languages, in some cases, are gendered. Okay. Can we, if if we're gonna do this? Can I go ahead and say that I chose the phrase or the term Latinx because our good friend and co-owner of this network, Sean Garmer, used it in a tweet he was talking about when he mentioned what a great thing it was as a Latin person himself to see himself reflected in the Latinx remake Father of the Bride. So I'm hold take on. a deep breath. Hold on. There's, was, there's two different there's two different I, things going on here. I was parroting Sean Garmer, our friend, who said he was very happy he felt represented in the movie. He is the, for the record, he is the only Latin person I know who uses Latinx. I know everyone else that I know has told me don't do it. It's stupid. Okay. So here's what I'm going to tell you. So, he, he used it, so I co-opted it. That's it. <laughs> cultural appropriation right here. I totally culturally, culturally <laughs> appropriated because that's what, that's what my culture does as white people. So, speaking of cultural appropriation... Yeah, it's not like we're responsible for all of Western <laughs> civilization or anything. Oh, pipe down. Um, <laughs> so, but, oh, by the way, speaking of piping down, I, I really do want to get into these movies because I don't want to be here all night. I uh, I got hot dates to get to. But um, I, I was I, I was listening back to our review of X-Men Apocalypse. And boy, the way, by the way, you and I could talk five hours about absolutely nothing. You, you might be one of the few people I can do that with, where it is like you could just put any innocuous topic between the two of us and me and you will just go on forever. And if we didn't have like natural stopping points, like running out of recording time, I have some place to get to. You have some place to get to. It's fucking dawn. 
you know, we've been at this <clears throat> for 12 hours. <clears throat> you and I could just talk forever, best friend. But so I'm listening to us review X-Men Apocalypse. And I, uh, <laughs> there have been, you, you have, you have suffered under me. I understand you, you have taken <laughs> a lot of my abuse and you, you've taken it willingly and you know, you fired some shots back and I, and I understand that that is our joust. That is what we do. But there was one thing that you said to me in the course of several years of doing this where I was like, I was bad and I have to correct myself. And, it, and I've said, shared this with you before, but I couldn't remember what podcast it was. And now I do. It was, I'm on this podcast. I will I will speak my mind or something like that. It was, it was definitely like, I'm on this podcast. I'm going to say what I want to say. And it was one of those because I kept like saying, you're being silly. You're being stupid. Don't do that. You're being silly. Don't do that. And you're like, no, 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 no. I'm here. I'm going to share my opinion. And I was like, you are here. I should be nicer to Robert. <laughs> and it was the X-Men Apocalypse show. I mean, you were making a big deal out of nothing, as you were wont to do. But it was something to you, and I had to respect that. I mean, that, that whole so. movie is nothing. So we, uh, we spent a lot wrong. of time talking about nothing <laughs> on that show. Dude, that 2015, 2016 is a lot of podcasts talking about nothing. Let me tell you. <laughs> what a weak year for film. That was two years. Because, again, I'm, I'm replaying a lot of this stuff on W2M now. That was on Blog Talk Radio, and I and I go back and I listen to some of those shows. Two two and a half hours of me and you just screaming. It's a nothing movie, but somehow taking two hours to do it. We know we have to fill time. Like you and I are, <laughs> you and I are very aware of this. So while we could get out of here in five minutes, yeah, right. <laughs> it stinks. Move on. Yeah, you and I were very very good about dragging things out. It was it was almost like we didn't want to get off the podcast. It was like, do you want to do you want to go back to your life? No, not especially. <laughs> no, not not really. Let's let's talk more about nothing. All right. Um. So speaking of nothing, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. Uh. That's what we're that here to the, discuss. That's our first batter up. All right. It's a 2022 American absurdist comedy drama film written and directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, collectively known as the Daniels who co-produced it with the Russo brothers, who directed the last few Avengers movies. It stars Michelle Yao as Chinese-American woman being audited by the IRS, who discovers that she must connect with parallel universe versions of herself to prevent a powerful being from causing the destruction of the multiverse. Yes, this movie was everything Doctor Strange wanted to be but couldn't. Sam Raimi watched this movie and sobbed. Yeah, he, I could he, have done this. Why he, wouldn't uh, you let me do this? Sam Raimi got naked in the theater, just ripped. I mean, and I don't mean like politely took his clothing off and like, well, that's the end for me. No, he is the Mongolian the Mongolian wrestling coach at the uh, Olympic Games who, who violently stripped in protest of a judge's call. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, he just ripped his clothing off Lex Luger style and just cried. And, like I normally would say, like, well, he walked into the woods to live deliberately. No, Sam Raimi went. <laughs> and cried all the way into the woods after seeing this movie. This is everything he wanted Doctor Strange to be, but could not let it be. Uh, it stars Stephanie Sue, K. Hugh Kwan, Jenny Slate, Harry Shum Jr., James Hong, and Jamie Lee Curtis. And I kept looking at her going, is that is that Jamie Lee? Jamie Lee, what have you done to yourself? She put um, a bodysuit for the movie. <laughs> apparently. Uh, all right, so... We have been, um, this was one of those where it came out in limited release. In fact, I'm, let me see if I can find it here. Came out in 
It had its world premiere at South by Southwest Festival on March 11, 2022. Then it had a limited theater release in March 25th of 2022. Then followed by a nationwide release April 8th. Uh, it was put out by my favorite film studio. And if you're looking for bizarre pictures that are off the beaten path, if you're as sick and tired of Marvel movies as we are, watch everything from A24. I cannot say enough good things about this studio. Well, they are like nine for 10 in, in like just weirdly awesome movies. Well, they did do the Green Knight. Nine for ten, fuckface. <laughs> um, <laughs> on March 30th, 2022, the film was released in sex IMAX theaters. Um, and due to the popularity of the film, yeah, it's like, for, for an indie like this, uh, this is doing, like, gangbusters. Yeah, for the um, record, the reason this didn't get a damn you Hollywood proper is because its release schedule was so inconsistent. It was originally yeah. supposed to be in one place at one time, and then it came right. out in wide release, and then we already had the schedule set, so there was no real time for it. Right. It was other by the time by the time it hit wide release, we were so packed with other feature releases, wide releases, that there was no room for it. Yeah, that's that's kind of how it wound up here, mm -hmm. taking up the lion's share of the time while we then pretend that two other movies exist <laughs> yeah well i fight well i scramble to find two other movies to fill the triple feature slot with um in any case uh the film was not released in parts of the middle east uh due to censorship why of, <laughs> due to censorship <laughs> of lgbtqi issues more on that tomorrow when we discuss Lightyear. um and then the film finally and this got moved a couple of times too because we were supposed to do this with after yang as a damn you hollywood just without the money but they kept moving the digital release date as well. And by that point, I was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> and I had to, like, start combining reviews. Yeah. So uh, it finally came on digital, PVOD, uh, June 7th. So just real quick, and then I'll, I'll jump into the plot synopsis. Uh, when did you get a chance to see this? What were your what were your hopes and dreams for this movie? You know, I know you, you are forever on the hunt for something to make you feel something to make you not hate the film industry. Did you have high, <laughs> did you have high hopes for this one or what? My hopes for this one vacillated a little bit. I saw the first trailer and was both in this movie. When we get to it is a fundamental contradiction and I love it for it for the record. <laughs> I was oddly curious, but also oddly repelled by some of the tone from the first trailer. Mm -hmm. It started skewing a bit too comedic for me, and I just kind of went, I yeah, don't know that I want this to be a comedy. Was it the googly eyes? Yeah. Googly eyes. Yeah, I, I knew that was going to be like, what are we doing here? Why, why the googly now, eyes? It works in the movie, so when you get to have proper context, it's genuinely good. Yeah. Uh, I, but I was, so I was a little bit awkward, and then a lot of people that uh, whose opinion I respect, even if I don't always agree with it, started saying very good things about it after they saw it. I saw it last week and right, uh, before we got to this because, of course, I saw Chip and Dale two weeks ago because I forgot exactly <laughs> when we were reviewing it. Mm -hmm. And again, for that entire review, I'm calling you Dale. <laughs> so, speaking of nothing uh, reviews, nothing I think movies rather. That's gonna That's, be. Uh, I, I don't want. I don't want to. Do, I don't want to spend too much too much time on this because we're going to talk about it tomorrow. Yeah. But that is going to be one where I literally just direct traffic and let Alexis and Dave jerk each other off. <laughs> like I have like, nothing it, to say about Chip and Dale. 
it's something of a nothing movie in the traditional sense of the word, but there's a surprising amount of hay to be made there, I think, for discussion. And I'm, I'm kind of I'm not as big an animation buff as those two, uh, but mm-hmm. I'm enough into it that I caught a bunch of the fun Easter eggs here. So if there's stuff to talk about, but uh, so I was my expectations were relatively high by the time I sat down to actually watch it. Mm-hmm. And it is both what I expected and very much not. Uh, there's some weird turns that this movie takes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about those weird turns. Yeah. Um, uh, again, well, hang a... on. I want to read the plot synopsis. Okay. All right. So we are, it's a play in three parts. First part is everything. It's like <laughs> the longest part of the movie. Uh, Evelyn three, Kwan, three parts, but they are not equal. The, no, not by a long shot. Evelyn Kwan Wang is a Chinese American woman who runs a struggling laundromat with her husband, Wayman. Tensions are high due to the laundromat being audited by the IRS. Additionally, Wayman is trying to give Evelyn divorce papers. Evelyn's demanding father, Gong Gong, has just arrived from China, and Evelyn's daughter, Joy, has been trying to get her mother to accept her girlfriend, Becky. Well, at the IRS building for a meeting, IRS Inspector Deidre uh, Barbadre? Barbara Dre, I don't know. Nurmagomedov, um, uh, Metaconia. Wayman's personality changes when his body is briefly taken over by Alpha Wayman, <laughs> a version of Wayman from a new universe he calls the Alphaverse. Alpha Wayman explains to Evelyn that many parallel and universes just for exist. for the record, let's all be so very grateful they didn't go with the opposite of Alpha. <laughs> yeah. Since every choice made creates a new universe. The people of the Alphaverse, led by the late Alpha Evelyn, developed a verse-jumping technology that allows people to access the skills, memories, and bodies of their parallel universe counterparts by fulfilling specific conditions. The multiverse is being threatened by Jobu Tupaki, former Alpha Joy. Her mind was splintered after Alpha Evelyn pushed her to extensively verse-jump. Jobu Tupaki now experiences all universes at once and can verse-jump and manipulate matter at will. With her godlike power, and you'll be godlike. She has created a black hole like everything bagel. <laughs> Literally everything. <laughs> yeah, buddy. That can potentially destroy the universe. I'll tell you, Robert, in all of my existential thinking and uh, study of metaphysics, I always knew it would be the everything bagel that would be the end of humanity in time itself. Would not have been my pick but I can see it. <laughs> yep, let's see. Evelyn is given verse-jumping technology to fight Jobu Topaki's verse-jumping minions who begin converging in on the IRS building. Evelyn learns of Wayman's plan to divorce her and discovers other lives where she made different choices and flourished, such as becoming a kung fu master, as you would in this sort of movie, and movie star instead of leaving China with Wayman, who becomes a successful businessman. Alpha Wayman comes, <clears throat> comes to believe that Evelyn... As the greatest failure of all Evelyn's of the multiverse has the untapped potential to defeat Jobu Tupaki. <clears throat> Alpha Gong Gong instructs Evelyn to kill Joy to hinder Jobu Tupaki, but Evelyn refuses. She decides she must face Jobu, fuck you, Jobu, Tupaki by gaining the same powers as her. So she verse jumps repeatedly while battling Jobu Tupaki's minions and Alpha Gong Gong soldiers. After the battle, Alpha Wayman is killed by Jobu Tupaki in the Alphaverse and Evelyn's mind overloads. Okay, that's just part one, everybody. <laughs> True. 
Part part one ends with the the best fake out ever. Oh my god! Is I le- it got best. me, man. It legit <laughs> got me. I was like, "Is this over? Are we done here?" Because bravo! I I was in bed watching, it and I almost got up into a standing ovation. Except at the time, my bed was broken, so I'd have fallen right through into hell. But um, I I legitimately was like, "Wow, man, that's some balls on this movie." And then it was like, "Oh wait, it's going. God damn it! We've been here for three hours already." Um, we had not so, been there for three hours already, for the record. It's almost a three-hour movie, though. In um, total, yes. Part two, everywhere. Evelyn's mind splinters, and she discovers other bizarre universes, including one in which humans have hot dogs for fingers. They had so much fun with this movie, and she is in a rom- romantic. <laughs> and she is in a romantic relationship with Deirdre, and another where she works alongside a teppanyaki chef who is secretly puppeteered by a ratatouille-like raccoon. <laughs> She learns that Jobu Tapaki created the everything bagel, not to destroy everything, but to destroy herself, and has been searching for Evelyn, who can understand her. Jobu Tapaki feels that because there are so many vast universes and unending chaos, nothing truly matters. And Metallica already beat you to that in the 90s, by the no, way. No, 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 no. The first movie that you can say talks about nihilism and actually talks about nihilism, you bunch of freaking hack reviewers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, times I had to yell at reviewers about, boy, this is a nihilistic movie. No, it's not. You don't understand. Yeah. In other universes, the Wangs are about about to lose the laundromat due to tax errors, and businessman Wayman rejects movie star Evelyn after decades apart. Evelyn has nearly swayed the Jobu Topaki's cause and stabs her universe's Wayman. She almost joins Jobu Topaki in entering the bagel, but stops when she hears Wayman calls to be kind and have hope. And I think that's a nice message. Always be kind and have hope. Evelyn defeats Alpha Gong Gong. But it's a nice message. I, I don't think it is, though. I think it's I think society has moved so far to one direction that be kind and have hope in its simplicity is just hard for people to do. Like it's more it's it's harder than people think since it's a simple concept. But moving on. Evelyn defeats Alpha Gong Gong and Jobu Topaki's fighters by using her multiverse knowledge to find what is hurting each of them and gives them happiness. <clears throat> Evelyn reaches Jobu Topaki and tells her that she's not alone and that Evelyn will always choose to be with her, despite everywhere else she could be. Meanwhile, in a parallel universe, take a drink, everybody, Evelyn confronts Gong Gong and reconciles with Wayman and Joy, and Wayman convinces Deidre to let the Wangs redo their taxes. Jobu Topaki initially rejects Evelyn, but returns to her and they embrace part three <laughs> all at once. Shortly thereafter, the family's relationships and lives have improved. Becky is now regarded as part of the family. Wayman and Evelyn have share a brief romantic moment for the first time in a long while. And they return to the IRS building on a second chance to file their taxes. As Deidre talks, Evelyn's attention is momentarily drawn to her alternate self and the multiverse before she grounds herself back in her home universe. All right, Robert, I know you were chomping at the bit here, so let's kick this baby around, shall we? Yes, let's. Uh, this movie's great. Yes. Like There is just an unending amount of joy that seeps through the film. Like, everyone involved in this is having fun, and it's so obvious. It's the kind of thing that you can't, you want your movie to have this, but you can't plan for it. Yeah. The the times when, you know, 
everything that goes into making this just kind of bleeds through into the screen. This thing must have been an absolute blast for the fight choreographer because they played around with so much stuff. Yeah, I, I really wanted to hear you talk briefly, but do spend a little bit of time on this because I know that you're a student of fight choreography and I was really interested in your critical review of that part of it. It leans into the absurdist in a good way. It's the kind of thing that lets you know as an audience, like, Wacky stuff is going to happen and you kind of have to go with it. But as long as you get enough of the stuff that maintains its internal consistency right, you're good. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a bit where uh, Jamie Lee Curtis channels a pro wrestling variant of herself. <laughs> and uses pro wrestling moves when fighting <laughs> Michelle Yeoh. Mm -hmm. like she goes for a backbreaker at one point. Uh, there's a drop kick and... It's absurd. I mean, pro wrestling is, an, I cover pro wrestling. I watch entirely too much of it. It's dumb as hell, but as long <laughs> as you keep everything internally consistent, it kind of works. So that kind of contrasting with the more traditional uh, Chinese martial art that uh, Michelle Yeoh practices, we lean into the... One of the things that makes this so great is because they're drawing from all kinds of different inspiration, you get all kinds of different stuff. Uh, you get prop fighting. At one point, she channels a sign-wielding variant of herself and uses the, okay. the muscle memory with that. That is a great scene. So there's a it's bunch great. of there's a there's a so we talked about this. I was actually thinking about like Daredevil and some of the other stuff that we've watched where, where we paid special attention to the fight choreography. One of the that's one of the things that we highly criticize when we when we do these reviews is there's fighting for fighting's sake, and that gets kind of boring unless you're really into the minutia of, of fighting. But then there's ways of doing it that's super creative, super colorful, very fresh and vivid. So what, what this movie does, and it's one of the standout things about it, is that there's cuts to what's happening in another universe that she's using the muscle memory of to where she's actually fighting. So you get this really, really fun, creative, almost Marvel-esque, but I don't, I don't want to – I don't say Marvel-esque to say, oh, it's not good fight quality of choreography – it's more of Marvel does go out of its way to try to present these things in a way that hasn't been done before. They don't always succeed, but they, at least they try. And they here, used to try. Well, they used to try. Um, <laughs> Pre-Endgame, they tried. Uh, so there's a scene, just as an example, where she's using the sign uh, to take on, the, you know, as a shield, to take on this group of guys that's, that's, that's surrounding her, this group of minions. And it's great. It's so fun. It's like, it's so creative the way that they do it. And you go like, yeah, I totally see that being effective. It's, it was, you know, film is, film is a medium to be seen, which sounds like an obvious thing to say, but I feel like that's a concept that gets neglected or taken for granted. You want to see visually stunning and interesting and engaging action on screen. That's what that scene is, all of that, and then some. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I like the gimmick that they have where we're trying to find absurdist little ticks in your current timeline that will let us uh, vault your consciousness to other universes. Like, that's a great gimmick for how you want to proceed with something like this. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to it, you know, being just a, a goldmine of comedy, uh, it, it, they do enough with it to have it make sense. I mean, the fight in the office when, for the record, 
the first time Jamie Lee Curtis shows off that auditor of the month trophy that she has, like I laughed because of course it looks like a butt plug. <laughs> and like, which is again, like it's a funny thing. Like, oh, it's the IRS. Of course, they're going to give you the shaft. Right. Then they actually pay it off in the most literal way possible during a fight scene. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. we're not going to do a full Rotten Tomatoes thing, but I do want to point this out because these are both A24 and, and it just made me laugh when I saw it. I was curious to see where this ranked among critical ratings on Rotten Tomatoes for the year. It is tied at 95% uh, fresh, but it's tied with another A24 movie. It's tied with X. <laughs> okay. And they are 70 and 71 out of uh, 91 rated movies. So only like 20 more movies, I think, were rated higher on the tomato meter than, including Top Gun Maverick, um, rated higher than X and everything everywhere all at once. I mean, so if you get nothing out of this review, you should at least take away that this is very much worth your time. Oh, this is a fabulous movie. Again, the last thing on the fight choreography, they play around with so much fun stuff. Like, they do one where she taps into the musculature of a version of herself that trained only her pinky fingers. <laughs> and they have so much fun with that. Like, <laughs> if you think about the uh, how important, you know, blocking uh, major weapons is and controlling your opponent's offense, if you actually have to worry about something as small as a single digit being that dangerous, it's actually kind of terrifying if you think, you know... I could just worry about somebody's fist, <laughs> but I mean, look at what, look at what it'll do to you. If you just have to worry about someone's fingers individually, when you can get poked in the eye, if you can do more with something than that, then yeah, like they have so much fun with it and it's great. The acting is all great. You know, God bless James Hong at like 90 something still out here as a great actor. So every time I saw him, all I could think about was big trouble in little China. And here's the crazy thing about that. I think that was deliberate. Probably. I, I well, no hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. In the following way, like, Michelle Yeoh plays essentially a version of herself in an alternate universe where she's a successful film star. Because Michelle Yeoh is a successful action-oriented martial arts film star. There's a degree of meta-commentary in this film that is sublime. So yeah, mm -hmm. James Hong is low pan half the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's so I kept waiting for like what, Kurt Russell to just walk on, <laughs> walk on screen. <laughs> and he's like, you know, like I'm standing here from the Pork Chop Express and just go through his entire uh, Jack Burton fucking routine that he does. I'm shocked they didn't cut to an alternate universe where that was a thing that happened. Like, uh, uh, could uh, how you, funny? How funny? You know, how Kurt. You know Where Kurt Russell would have been down for it. You well, know I was Kurt even Russell better. Been how funny it. would it have been and how meta had they cut to an alternate universe where Michelle Yao is playing is Jack Barton? They could have done that too. <laughs> or, or substitute her for Michelle Pfeiffer's character. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's so much. Oh, that would have been great. We need we need another one of these. I, we don't. We, I, please don't ruin this with a we sequel. Need, but... We need a sequel where they just go to other movies that the can actors I, can I get, can I get a Pornhub version of this where no. they just, we, <laughs> they look, just we, we cut to one. No, no, we cut to one that's in the Goonies and Old Kahoon Kwan <laughs> is because because he was um well, uh, what was his character's name in the Goonies? 
Oh, who, just keep going. I don't want to waste time trying to remember a, a character's name for a bit that we're doing. Let's just keep going. Well, I, I bring it up because I want to mention the actor because mm. Kehun Kwan, man, mm-hmm. he was in two of the bigger, uh, bigger blockbusters from a, a very specific period of time. Oh, Data you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, shit. That's Data? Yeah. He's Holy short round God. in Temple of Doom, too. Oh, well, yeah. I remember, I remember Data and short round just when I was... During um during the unknown pandemic of unknown origin, um <laughs> and the subsequent lockdown when there were no movies coming out, I would take my kids into Pinellas County to go see like five dollar uh yeah, old, old classics movie. in the theater. Yeah. Right. So like we saw Temple of Doom and I saw like within like weeks of each other, we saw Temple of Doom and we saw Goonies, and I was like, huh, Data's short round. I didn't realize that back, you know, back when I saw them contemporaneously as a as a child. So yeah, and, he- and- and Wayman is that character, same actor. Oh, that's brilliant. Wonderful. I'm glad he's still getting work. Like that's why I wanted to do the Goonies cutaway as him with him as an old version of it. <laughs> oh damn, now I get it. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't picking the Goonies at random. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, a couple more things about this, and then we, we do need to but, move uh, on to the sorry, other Sorry, sorry, like my yeah. my point there was Kehun Kwan, his ability to shift, like it's not easy to turn on a dime the way he does going essentially playing alternate versions of himself. And he does it so effortlessly. Like he is really, he's kind of the unsung hero in terms of the acting of this thing. He is great. You know, subtlety in performance is, can sometimes be a lost art because everything gets dumbed down for the widest audience possible. And the widest audience possible sometimes doesn't pick up on subtlety. So, you know, such the such, widest audience possible got to the bit where they're just rocks on a planet where life wasn't necessarily <laughs> conducive and went, huh? Right. So it's fun to see a movie like this where you get um, the, uh, the actor again. Uh, the, I can't remember it? if he's if he pronounces it K or Key, but go with K for the for the sake of argument. Okay, K. Hu Kwan. Like, so he's playing somewhat of a foppish sort of like backbroken. Henpeck. Uh, Hang on. Henpeck. Henpeck. Hen they showed him Raymond from Everybody Loves Raymond and said, do right. this, but Chinese. Right. Okay. So we'll go with Henpeck for the ease of conversation. You know, he's playing this Henpeck male, but he's doing it in such a way that you can still be sympathetic towards him. You see his point of view. He's not somebody you want to see get his ass kicked or, or somebody yeah. that you're. Oh, and you he's know, so he so easily could have been. Right, that, but that's the point that I'm making. You know, we're sitting here doing a review of this movie. What makes this movie so good? It's not just the fight scenes, though those are great, and that's certainly one reason to watch this. The performances in this hit a pitch of subtlety seldom seen in modern film. Like, if you're trying to figure out, huh, I want to be more of an art film person, what should I watch? You should watch every every. Yeah, you should watch, watch everything this. everywhere all at once. Yeah, this one. Um. He said eloquently, uh, because it really is a study in subtle performance in a movie that frequently gets bombastic at times and is visually and is visually very silly at times. I kind of like the fact that also everything everywhere all at once almost operates as a parody of the multiverse film concept without going the Mel Brooks um, Zucker. Zucker Road, where it's overtly silly. There's two ways to there's essentially two ways to parody Mm -hmm. a concept like this. 
One of which, as you mentioned, is the over the top, you know, kind of Mel Brooks style, which is right. great. So if like for people listening, we do actually have an audience tonight. Uh, so like Airplane, Hot Shots. Um, Can I just say for the record, I rewatched Hot Shots Part 2 the other day. Yeah. I'm convinced we're living in a parody because if Lloyd Bridges is not just Joe Biden in 2022. <laughs> okay. Well, like, hang on. That, that's, that's, not me, that's not me making a political statement about like uh-huh. left or right. That's me looking at Joe Biden and like most of the speeches he gives and going, you're just Lloyd Bridges. So when, when, when so at the at the next state of the union when Joe Biden is talking about you know the price of gas and he goes he's like looks like I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue we'll know why um, yeah like that that's I I just got serious similar vibes and it, it struck me so profoundly in that moment like if we went we went from the most absurd throwaway prediction the Simpsons ever made mm-hmm. to living in hot shots like that's that's the state of contemporary reality. Moving on, uh, though now I want, to, though now I want like Ted Cruz or somebody to just walk on camera and goes, "This is where my drinking problem started," and like you know, right in the face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone, yeah, it, Con- anything. Congress as a Zucker movie. Anyway, so yes, there's two ways to parody. That's one is well, the overtly so, so the other the, one the overtly like Mel Brooks yeah. style Zucker style. So the the other one and the it, the other one actually isn't what everything everywhere all at once does Every, it is a bit of a parody but it's a mm-hmm. side parody mm-hmm. the other way to do it is the really um almost cynical satirical biting way and that's what rick and morty does right uh for anyone who's happened to have watched that and i'm not i'm okay. not gonna it, go it, I, I, this was a, this one is almost a meditation yeah but the meditation is this is a silly concept, so we're gonna it have is. fun with it. So, like, if you think about like the multiverse, right? There's Just so many. The, everyone takes it so seriously, right? The metaphysics of the cult concept of the multiverse is a, is silly in and of itself it on its face. It really is. It's 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 it's, it's nonsensical. I'm half and, convinced it gained life because there are a bunch of physicists sit, sitting around who just had nothing better to do with their time. Yeah, probably that would only make sense. And, and I feel like as a meditation, everything, everywhere, all at once says, let's take this, let's recognize the silly of it and say, okay, well, if there's, if it's silly and this room has no walls, it's just an open space to play, let's play in it. And then let's take some of these other things people like, like Kung Fu fighting, but let's do it with an old Chinese woman instead of, you know, Keanu Reeves. Michelle <laughs> like, Yo is not that old. All right. Is he a traditional action hero? Uh, no. Well, no. not to Western audiences. She's 59. That's not old. <laughs> okay. In dwarf years, sure. I seriously, James Hong is right. God, there. My producer is <laughs> my producer is yelling at me. She was in Crazy Rich Agents, which I forget had a lot of kung fu fighting in it. Yeah, okay. Watch a hockey game. Thank you. Look, what she what she really was was the best Bond girl of the Pierce Brosnan era. That was a hundred years ago. It really wasn't. You're <laughs> okay. not that old, Mark. You don't get to be that cranky yet. Neither no. am I, even though we're getting there. Get off my lawn. Anything, <laughs> anything um, else? Okay, okay. last yeah. thing I want to say about this, because yeah, I mentioned that this movie is very much a contradiction. And its finale is no less so in a weird way 
it has to if you're going to ask the fundamental question that if i might para, if i might quote dr strange very briefly if you if you have to deal with the grand calculus of the multiverse it is you have to then fundamentally answer the question of why does anything matter right and there's so many movies, especially if you look at uh, various comic adaptations that play around with this, or just comic book source material and whatever you happen to. They're a bit afraid of this question. I and I understand why. I, I don't even think it's a fear, though. I think it's just not wanting to deal with it because that's... These are not metaphysicists. These are... It, this this isn't even... Writers. Hang on. This isn't even metaphysics. Like this, the, I mean, like, on a philosophical or a moral or a moral okay. level which is something that doesn't change what i said these are fiction writers they're not really contemplating the greater questions of the universe they're being paid to write fiction that people will pay money for well uh, so again when i say they're afraid of it that might be they're mm -hmm. aware of their own inadequacy when tackling it uh, okay that's fair but whatever it happens to be they don't deal with this question and that question is uh, again like assuming that this is real that this is reality what is the point of anything? Right. And you know, people don't like asking that question because most people don't have an answer. I, most of us know, don't want to hang on, hang on. Most of us don't want to accept the fact that if we understood the multiverse as, pre as presented to be real, like again, what do you, okay. you don't okay. matter. But all right, let me, let me jump in here. And, and I, this is going to be, I really don't want this to dovetail into yet another uh, three-hour conversation because you and I are likely to do that. That's why we started the way we started tonight. Um, <laughs> so everyone's ganging up on me tonight. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> uh, well, some one of our one of our fans here just just wrote in all capital letters and exclamation marks. That is not old. Moving on. Um, look, look, 40, 50 years ago, then yes, 60 was kind of old. Okay. Old for an action. Oh, God, I don't want to do this again. I I don't want to do uh, Jupiter's Landing or whatever the hell, whatever show, <laughs> <laughs> whatever show it took us three hours to talk about because we got into a two-hour discussion about the death penalty. But um, I hey, think... Hey, we solved the problem, at least. I think the yeah, there we did, and I, I think the the question of like why are we here? What is the meaning of life? That's really what you're you're sort of dancing around. No, no. Why? Why? What? Hang on. Why hang does on. anything matter? That that's not the question. And and this is what the this is what the multiverse. Poor writers of the multiverse think positing the existence of the multiverse asks that question. It really doesn't. Okay. The existence of the multiverse, even in fiction, if it exists concretely mm -hmm. in your story, you are not asking the question, uh, you know, what is the meaning of life? Mm -hmm. What you're asking the question, the question you're actually asking is, in incontrovertible, when facing incontrovertible proof that nothing you do matters, what is the purpose? Because those are I not the same thing. So for the believe other, it or not. So for the people watching who may got who may have just gotten a little lost, what you're talking about is when you have an infinite possibility, when you have an infinite possibility of outcomes, then nothing you do matters because somewhere else, somewhere else in the universe, a thing is resolved, a thing is happening. So that's when so when you say nothing matters, that's what you're referring to. Yes. Yeah. Again, like it 
when people have this discussion in actual reality, mm -hmm. it's all based on assumptions. Well, it's it's this well, consequences for what your actions, but you're talking about a finite space. You're talking about this universe. I'm not only talking about that. I mean, even if we wanted to extend this out slightly, I mean, you know, there there's something of a fundamental question that has to be asked about. Uh, this is one that people don't like talking about, but, and I'm not asking you specifically, okay. so you do not have to answer this question, but Finish. I'm going to ask it in the Great. general sense. Finish your thought, relate this to the movie, and then we got to move on. Will do. There are assumptions that have to be made about how you live your life specifically relative to, is there anything after you die? Right. And you can talk with people on either side of that particular equation and every gradient in between, but you have to make assumptions about how you live your life based on that principle mm -hmm. and what you, and what spawns <laughs> from that. There's a, there's a giant amount of unknowns that influence everything we do all the time. If the multiverse exists in the way that this one or the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the DC Universe or whatever, if that exists, if, you are not dealing with unknowns anymore. You are dealing with the concrete knowledge that in a grand, infinite, the human mind is not designed to, con to fully comprehend in infinity. We can't do it. Mm -hmm. But in an infinite in an infinite multiverse where everything that could ever happen will happen, has happened, continues to happen, there's an infinite number of universes where you have made infinitely every choice that you could ever make, will ever make, and have ever made, and an equally infinite number of universes where you never exist to begin with. You have – this is proof, essentially, that nothing you do matters. Because right. you, you're not dealing with a thought experiment about the grand nature of human existence. You are dealing with concrete physical evidence that nothing has consequence of any variety anywhere ever, never has, never is going to, and never will in the future. And that is the kind of horrifying realization about everything that drives people insane. And whether that means in a straitjacket in a loony bin or just the kind of walking, unconscious, zombified state of existence well, that I, a I giant number of people in reality. I do wonder with. if like to to pull away from the gravitational pull of that kind of thinking, if people then cling to traditional religion, um, because traditional religion tends to speak to a finite consequence of your decision making. If I do X, I will go to heaven. If I do Y, I will go to hell. And that is something that people will then cling to so that they don't get sucked into the morass of metaphysical philosophizing that you're talking about. Well, I'm going to relate this to the movie, so bear with me for just a second. I would love you to relate this to the movie. Well, that's the question that is asked at the end of the movie. Yes. You have a character who is faced with the unending horror of simultaneously experiencing infinite possibility and infinite reality and has now accepted and bought into the notion that because all this is real mm -hmm. and I know it's real because I am living it. Right. And we've proven it scientifically before that, that the only thing I can do that matters. And you see this, you see this with people who engage with, uh, in violent nihilism. 
And I know this because I flirted with that philosophy for a while, especially when I was in high school and seriously depressed. The only thing I can do that matters is an, is an act of destruction to end my pain. Yeah. And if you, again, if, and that's generally nihilism. If you go violent nihilism, it explodes outward before it turns inwards. And this is where we get, this is, this is the philosophy, believe it or not. They don't know it necessarily, but a lot of school shooters fall into this mm -hmm. category. Um, and it is, it is that kind of like, uh, again, this, not just hopelessness, but this violent rejection of everything that explodes outward. That's largely what caused the, I might use this phrase without uh, potentially turning people off. That's what caused the tragedy of the 20th century. Like there's never been a more destructive, violent, cataclysmic hundred year period in human history than 1901 to 2001 right well just the um just the imagine uh just just the sorry the amount of simultaneous death that takes place in the 20th century via atomic weapons well, not even just that i mean you have if you look at the again the history of the 20th century you have two world wars right and between them a pandemic more deadly than the two of them combined yeah and you have conflict on a global level that had never been seen before you have it mechanized and efficient in a way that had never been seen before right and again like i'm not saying that history before that was replete with sunshine and rainbows it was violent it was ugly it was in some cases no, but it, much more brutal than you think well but i was gonna say, talking like, even if you if you're talking about like the amount of death in a single hundred year period it took a lot longer to get to the kind of numbers that the 20th century had uh than in, the, in the a time single it, five year period right all right we gotta we gotta move hey, this on. So, yeah so well, wrap up the point there is this movie doesn't shy away from the from that particular question in fact it is the mm -hmm. central conflict Th this movie is very much a family drama at its core like the emotional yeah. core of this my daughter is horribly depressed and suicidal not it's not much more complicated than that right it's there's frills on it and a lot of fun frills, but that's the fundamental core is a, a mother and daughter who are somewhat estranged trying to reconnect. And this movie's answer to that fundamental question is the only real answer that assuming, assuming you do not have some kind of belief in a higher power, the only way you can kind of combat this nothing I do matters is with a sort of clever twist of phrasing if nothing you do matters then the only thing that matters is what you do right and th Fair that's not. all you can do it's a very actually a very hopeful movie in that sense it really is like this is a profoundly uplifting film i there's a bit that evelyn goes through that uh i don't know if it spoke to i imagine it did not speak to you the same way it spoke to me for a variety of reasons but when she's try, when she kind of goes like, why can't I just go be in one of these other universes? Why can't I live there? I want to mm. live in the sauce. Yeah. Uh, for my Simpsons reference of the evening. Second, actually, because <laughs> I mentioned uh, Trump. But there's this bit where she's just, you know, of all the things I could have been, I became me. Right. And I just... <sighs> 
no, I that resonated. I can see why it resonated I, with you too. But I think I think a lot of people like if you start imagining well, what you could be in another universe or with different choices, and you go, why? Why did I have to be the one in this universe with these circumstances? I don't think. Well, that, I, I don't think that that's an alien. That's an alien feeling for people. Well, l l let me say why I think it probably spoke to me more than you. I, I, that's not to say it didn't speak to you at all. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that while you certainly consider other paths your life has taken, you're more or less okay with who you are and where you are in the world. Again, not on perfect. On, on a good day, yes. Again, I don't mean perfect. I do not mean perfect. <laughs> Nothing's perfect. But I mean that you, I imagine most of the time you look you look at your life mm -hmm. and you look at the people in it and what you have done. And yeah, it's rocky, but you feel a sense of satisfaction and contentment with the life you have made for yourself. On a good day. Again, I, I, I'm not saying, again, not perfect, but. No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I just. <laughs> yeah, I spend a inordinate amount of time mm -hmm. really wishing I was any version of myself other than who I am. Right. I do not like myself. And I've struggled with that and I continue to struggle with that. But that's when she's sitting there going, look at all the things I could have been. And boy, do I really wish I was yeah. any of them. Okay, can I go ahead? I would say... take hot dog fingers <laughs> no. over me. Two things. One, I think it's a brilliant point that you're making, but I think that you're like, I, this resonates with me more so than I think most people is wildly inaccurate because I will tell you that I think the vast majority of people, and if you get nothing else from this film review, and then I'm really pushing us on after this. Yeah, if yeah. you get nothing else from this film review, take what Robert is saying about, this consideration of wanting to be anyone but the version of yourself you are right now and see it reflected on the screen in this otherwise very, very fun and fresh and vivid and um, exciting movie. I, I think that it will resonate with most people. I think most people in their daily struggles, I, I, at least across the United States, I, I'm not going to speak for the rest of the world. So I'll speak for my own countrymen. I think most people in Canada, hi, Andrew. <laughs> Um, I think most people in the, in Western, in the Western world do struggle day to day with the choices they've made in their present life and wishing they were something, anything else. I don't think that that's necessarily alien to you. Um, oh, and no, I... hang on. And so my producer put this up here and said, you aren't alone <laughs> in your feelings. Most of us hate ourselves. Well, this was a fun review. Can we do this more often? <laughs> <laughs> and tune in tomorrow when we discuss the decline of Pixar Studios and Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Uh, and Mark signs divorce papers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some people wish. Um, all right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the, yeah. the absolute last thing on this, again, like that. 50 words or less. Yeah, yeah. That spoke to me because it deals very much with my personal mental health struggles right uh in a lot of real ways but this movie does again this is a contradiction it, it encourages you to find as most movies that deal with this stuff do that, because this is one of those like universal things that is true and untrue at the same time which makes it both poetic and again almost truer in a sense than most truths mm -hmm. that it is the the 
the things in your life day to day that make it worth living and that help give your life meaning. I mean, that that scene where this is one of the alternate realities where action star Evelyn talks with business magnate Wayman. And he says, you know, in another life, I would have been perfectly happy to just do laundry and taxes with you. <laughs> yeah. like, you will never find a perfect Ver version of yourself, a perfect version of reality. There's always going to be those things. There's always going to be those questions. There's always, always, always going to be things that you are with, unsure of. I was going to say, it also does deal with the sort of the metaphysical uh, element of more, needing more, wanting more. Yeah. Uh, always chasing that, that final piece of your heart that's missing. I mean, and, what is, you know, I, again, what is Jobu's goal here like she could have mm -hmm. walked into the everything bagel as soon as she made it right she wants a bit of connection she needs someone to understand right before she ends her life I, not not to be completely depressing and take this for another hour but it's it's kind of like you know when people leave a suicide letter most people le need to leave something behind so that people understand the incredibly selfish and terrible decision that they've made you know most people just don't go and do it and then there's nothing you know, well, there's uh, there's a there's another variation of this that you get from people who have survived um, like kidnapping or POW mm -hmm. experiences or whatnot. When they think they're going to die, mm -hmm. almost universally, they think one of the things that goes through their head is no one will know. Yeah, and, and it it does speak to that intrinsic desire i think for all humans to be seen in some way you know to acknowledge you know i sorry this is just how i relate to things please don't like we're having a nice discussion so don't, don't take this as an opportunity to, to kick me but right. you know as I, I was thinking about the under the bridge song by uh red hot chili peppers where the, the opening is sometimes i feel like i don't have a partner sometimes i feel like i'm my only friend and then he starts going into it's a city you know starts talking about los angeles but you know, it's that idea of the be of the universe, the, the city, the state, in that order, um, being so big that you start to lose sight of yourself, your sense of self, and then you become invisible, and then you lose that connection to humanity, and then you don't feel like you exist at all. And that's probably one of the most depressing feelings of all: to live in this life, to be to be flesh and blood, to be a living, breathing thing, and to feel like you don't exist because you are not seen. That's hard. And it's weird that this is Tell the movie. Tell me about it. <laughs> you are? We I mean, see you. I mean, we currently don't I, see you, but we see you. I'm, uh, no, I mean, that's, that's the, when my depression was really bad, like, that's one of the things that. I really should not have made this a triple feature. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as, like, as soon as I got done with this movie. <laughs> you should have just been like, dude, kill Spider Spiderhead and Father of the Bride. There's new time, new time. But I I still struggle with that feeling. Mm -hmm. um, I do too. Dude, I have a wife and kids and I struggle with it. I can name like 10 people just in our circle of friends who will, who will come on this podcast right now and be like, I don't feel like I'm seen either or heard. I mean, it's, it's not... I'm going to say this and then I'm literally jumping into Spiderhead. Um, it's literally one of i think the most the most telling about modern society and i think most of most the most shared experience is this collective feeling of not being seen or heard i think the people who do feel seen or heard are probably some of the worst people on the planet
Because <laughs> like there's that like inability that like they they don't have that sense of self reflection. You know what I mean? Um, I don't yeah. know. I, okay. What a what a fun discussion this was coming out of this movie. Like, hey, I'm great. This movie. Great movie, people. See it if you haven't. Yeah, it's absolutely an outstanding. Hey, ninety five percent on you know right right up there with X, the movie about a porn shoot that turns into the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. One of my other favorite movies of this year. A24, baby. All right. And now for a movie that sucks and will generate zero discussion. Is everyone ready? Let's talk about Spiderhead. Go, Robert. This is the last movie from and a little bit of history for those of you who are tuning in. Um, hang on. My, my producer wanted to put a... You know, you can hear me. Like, why are you... Okay, I'm just curious. My producer... My 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 producer loves you. She wants you to know that. Uh, sure. I appreciate <laughs> I can, that. I I can't see him, but I'm pretty sure he's blinking silently. All right. Uh, say so, yeah, they don't have the ability to think of others above themselves, so of course they feel seen. All right. Thank you. <laughs> yes. The only redeeming quality of Spiderhead was Chris Helmsworth is a pretty man. I'm going to take that one step further. It's not just that he's an attractive man. He actually makes a darn good villain. And I'm really so does. used to see I'm so used to seeing him as you know the hero mm-hmm. that seeing him turn it up to turn the slime ball factor way way up. Mm. Uh really nice really nice well, performance out of Hemsworth. Well, it's interesting and I want to introduce the movie proper, but it's interesting because Hemsworth gets like pigeonholed into either action hero because of Thor or dum dum because of Ghostbusters. This might be the first time I've ever seen him in smarmy villain role. Dude, let's get there. This was this movie actually letting him act. Yeah. Was such a tr- like this isn't quite like um Occasionally, you will have moments with actors when you realize how good they could be. Mm-hmm. Right? I the most profound one of those for me was, and because it was such a whiplash from what I'd just seen him in, I watched Chris Pine in a movie called Hell or High Water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we talked about that. But yeah, yeah, and I'm just resharing the story. Mm-hmm. And it was a total revelation about the depth of his talent. Yeah, because he so has because... been so utterly wasted. Right, but because in, people saw so him on like things. whatever stupid comedy he was on, and then he was fucking Star Lord. That people forget that you know he's uh, what James do you call him? Kirk. Things? He you know he's an actor. Um, First of all, he was James Kirk, not Star Lord. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. I'm Chris Pratt, but same thing. You get yeah. Chris Pratt, the dinosaur chaser. You know who's that's a nothing role. Then you get Chris Pratt, who can actually act. Same deal. Yeah. I, and I had a little bit of that moment here, again, not as profound as I did with Pine. Like, I, I got out of hell or high water and went, dude, Chris Pine, stop. Never go back to <laughs> never go back to Jar Jar Abrams and Star Trek. Never. You are too good for that. You are too good an actor for that. I'm, I'm sure his response is, yeah, but the paycheck is sure nice. I mean, well, because what the hell say, am I going to say? You do one for the business. You do one for yourself. So, But um, I, I got that. I got that vibe from Hemsworth here. Like, He's yeah. so much better than he is allowed to be in most of what he does. I think that's a lot of Hollywood. It's it's just putting you in a box and then the actors doing enough Thor, doing enough Marvel, doing enough high IP that they can then stretch and do something else. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you get an ex machina and sometimes you get a spider head. Um, but that being it's said, not a good, not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, not a good movie. We're not going to take that long on it, but I, I do want to say this for those interested in how the sausage gets made. Um, so a year ago, 
we were climbing out of the morass of the backlog of films and oh, over a year ago, about a year and a half ago, uh, before Godzilla versus Kong came out, movie theaters had reopened the September prior, September of 2020. It opened with New Mutants and um, Tenet, but nobody was going and a lot of theaters and a lot of markets were still closed. And then, you know, the government closed everything down again because, yeah. yay. Right. So, you know, Damn You Hollywood was sort of limping along and we were doing a lot of television to kind of make up for it and other stuff. Um, and Robert and I had a conversation about, like, what are we going to do to keep Damn You Hollywood going? Because we don't really have a lot of in-theater films to... And the, and the podcast itself has a specific structure. So there wasn't... We were struggling with, like, how to keep going with this. And, you know, we we... we we played around with different ideas. And at one point, Robert, and this is the point of the story, Robert's like, here's a list of everything coming out on Netflix I would like to talk about. Let's just start doing streaming movies because that's all there is. And then we monkeyed with the formula a little bit to accommodate that because there was no money to talk about. And that's a big part of Damn You Hollywood. All of that to say, we've now covered every single one of those movies except this one, which I feel like got delayed a half a dozen times. For no discernible reason, as far yeah. as I can tell. I don't know, like, like what they were doing research. At one point, the movie was known as Escape from Spiderhead, which, considering you, it actually takes last... makes more sense. <laughs> well, I, like, it, it, it takes up to the last ten minutes of the movie to try to escape from Spiderhead. The rest of it's this really talky, weirdo picture. But um, this is it. This is the last of those movies uh, of your list here. So I wanted to make sure that we talked about it, even though and at this point we have record, more than. At this point, we have more than enough content, but I was like, no, this is on his list, so we're getting it done. For the record, when I looked through that list, mm -hmm. I saw Chris Hemsworth was attached to this and went, yeah, sure, I'm interested. Did you know Miles Teller was your your, your He nemesis? was not listed. <laughs> I would never, <laughs> never have sent, have sent you this the link to this movie if I'd known old Dead I fucking, Eyes himself. I fucking saw that, and after our discussion <laughs> of Top Gun Maverick, where, like, I had friends texting me, why does he hate him so much? I don't understand. Uh, you know, like, to this day, I still have friends, like, will text me, but just like, I just watched the Miles Teller movie. Tell Robert. I'm like, all right, easy. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, calm down uh, calm down googly what you do to yourselves in the privacy of your own lives is your own issue but if you're that kind of a sadist there's better ways to do it than supporting the career of miles teller all right oh, old, old, Dude, his, old his eyes eye. his eyes in this movie are dead they are flat there is nothing going on upstairs all right just yeah, home oh, oh muscly miles teller all right so Escape from Spiderhead is a short story. It's part of the 10th of December stories, a collection of short stories by American author George Saunders. It includes stories published in various magazines between 95 and 2012. The book was published on January 8th of 2013 by Random House. One of the stories home was the 20, 2011 Bram Stoker Award finalist. 10th of December was selected as one of the 10 best books of 2013 by editors of the New York Times Book Review. The collection also won the 2013 Story Prize for Short Story Collections and the inaugural 2014 Folio Prize. So the original story uh, was published in The New Yorker uh, in 2010. It was called Escape from Spiderhead. And that is what they've adapted into this feature movie uh, directed by Joseph Kaczynski. Joseph Kaczynski, known for... Uh, he directed Top Gun Maverick, believe it or not. He did. He, and, uh, um, he directed Tom Cruise. And what is... I, I rewatched this movie recently, believe it or not. I would kill to get this movie re-released because it would be great in 2022, but I believe he directed Tom Cruise in Oblivion. He did. And Tron Legacy. Not Tom Cruise, though. Um, so, 
you know, I mean, Top Gun Maverick is currently sitting at like like the, like one of the highest reviewed and um, you know, and highest grossing most, movie of the year. Yeah, so Joseph Kaczynski, you know, batting five hundred here this year because <laughs> this is terrible. Uh, it is a it was a screenplay written by uh, Rhett Reese and Paul Warnick. Um, it stars the aforementioned Chris Hemsworth, who's also a producer, Old Dead Eyes, Miles Teller, and Journey Smollett. The human loading screen, yeah. Miles Teller. Yeah, principal photography took place in Australia in 2020. Uh, it debuted in Sydney in July 11, 2022, and was re- released on Netflix this past weekend on June 17th. <laughs> it's mixed reviews, to say the least. All right, uh, that was enough of an intro. Let's just get into it. Spiderhead is a state-of-the-art penitentiary experimenting with the effects of research chemicals the test subjects technically prisoners of the state are volunteers for the project aiming to reduce their sentence time the program is overseen by sympathetic and hospitable steve abnesti along with his assistant mark the prisoners have their own rooms do chores and are free to roam without guard supervision it's kind of like oz but without the ass rape the subject goes through daily that we that we are subjected to um (laughs) The subjects go through, you know what I've always wondered. Uh, the subjects go through daily test runs of various drugs, all of which alter their emotions. You know, I use, I quote, true story. I quoted that line in my intro to a UFC event. You know, you know what I've always wondered? It, we were, it was uh, the first fight between John Jones and Alexander Gustafson because so, so much was made about their relative heights and reaches and what, and both being just enormous men. Mm-hmm. I did actually quote, you know, there's something I've always wondered. And... <laughs> you dirty dog i don't think anyone got it i think it's a reference that flew entirely under the radar of yeah. everyone who was reading at the Only... time but that is that line that quoted line is in the intro like my little preamble intro to the ufc event that i covered when john jones fought alexander gustafson the first time only pat mullen and i would have caught that ever by the way <laughs> and that includes all the people that watched oz when it, it when it was on hbo that's I love you, Robert Winfrey. Never, never change. Um, <laughs> only, only, only ascend. Um, inmate Jeff Teller. Uh, sorry, inmate Jeff, plays by Miles Teller. Go Still ahead, reeling... say, just call him Jeff Teller. He's playing himself. <laughs> Old dead eyes. Still reeling from having killed his friend while drunk driving, is given N forty, a love drug, which distorts his senses and drives him to have sex with two of his fellow inmates, like you do. Steve asked him to choose which one of them to give Darkenflox, a drug that induces intense physical and psychological pain. He declines to choose, claiming he feels nothing in particular for either one of them after the effects of the love drug have worn off. Meanwhile, Steve tells him that the higher-ups have chosen him and the younger of the two women, Heather must be injected with a dose, though it will only last five minutes. Jeff reluctantly agrees, and to his horror, Heather commits suicide while on the Darkenflox. After she's just like a silly made-up word. After she damages her Moby Pack, the device that administers the drugs. As Steve rushes out of the projection room, he drops his keys. Jeff unlocks Steve's desk compartment, discovering there are no higher-ups. The prison is run by Abnesti Pharmaceuticals. The drugs were named from a bingo card. Steve and Jeff get higher get high together on a laughing drug, as Steve also has Moby Pack installed. Steve tells Jeff that his father abandoned him as a child. Jeff confesses to Lizzie, an inmate he is close with, that he not only killed his friend in the car accident... But his girlfriend as well. Lizzie hugs him and they kiss. Steve notices Jeff's feelings for Lizzie. Mark becomes doubtful of Steve's motives and he breaks down when Jeff confronts him. When Steve asks Jeff to administer Darken Flocks to Lizzie, Jeff contr- takes control of Steve's Moby Pack, forcing him to admit the true goal of the program 
is to test a compliance drug, B6. They're trying to control you, don't you understand? The government with their masks. Never mind. The uh, other drugs are merely a side project used to put B6 to the ultimate test, whether they would harm their love when commanded to do so. All the while, inmates have been consenting to various tests. They have really been under the influence of the obedience drug. With Mark and the police now approaching the island, Steve escapes. We finally get to escape from Spiderhead on his float plane as Jeff and Lizzie attempt to outrun their fellow inmates who have been ordered to catch them. High off his damaged Moby pack, Steve joyously crashes his float plane into a mountain as Jeff and Lizzie motorboat away from Spiderhead. In a voiceover, Jeff comments that self-forgiveness has to be worked on and chosen. This was 107 minutes of the longest moments of my life. Jesus Christ. You guys want to know why I hate you guys want to know why I hate Miles Teller? This. No, please, please spend the next hour telling our, our dutiful audience why you hate Miles Teller. It's stuff like this. I <laughs> wish you luck in the therapy you will be attending in the future. I love our fans. I love our fans. <laughs> uh, look, there I don't have a being being joke people joking about Miles Teller's success and whatnot does not annoy me. So if you if all the things you could kind of poke at my idiosyncrasies over, this is a fine one to do so. Oh, I'm sure she'll find some more to poke you on. Uh I, I said that like this guy's been part of like some of the worst viewing experiences of my entire life have featured Miles Fair. featured Teller fan forced you want to let's just do this real quick okay because i'd rather Please. I'd, ra- I'd rather just slam miles teller's entire filmography than actually talk about this movie so yes i'll talk about the film in a second but yes let's <laughs> all right so starting from 2010 he was in rabbit hole he was in i guess this remake of footloose from 2011 he, he played hang on he is oh this my is god the- he's he's that character from he's like the lead he- in footloose no, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. He's not the lead. He okay. doesn't play Kevin Bacon. He plays um, Chris Penn, which is even dumber. <laughs> okay. He's in Project For the record, X. that movie's one of them. Like, that's a terrible movie. <laughs> All right. He's in Project X. That's pretty terrible, too. Okay. Uh, the Spectacular Now. Haven't seen it. Yep. This, this is, looks like an indie pick. 21 and Over. Didn't see it. Okay. Whiplash. J.K. Simmons did a Shawn Michaels and carried his ass in that movie. And God bless mm. J.K. Simmons for it. Uh, that awkward moment. Didn't see it. Okay. Divergent. Uh. <laughs> Moving on. Why, I, I have had to... I watched those movies, not just the first one, mind you, but like mm-hmm. all of them, at various times when donating plasma. So I had mm. no choice in that matter. They came on as a giant needles in my arm. <laughs> Uh, he's in he's in something called Two Night Stand. Never saw it. Okay. Uh, he's in more Divergent movies. Hey, and yeah. here we get to the the creme de la creme. He's in Fan Four Stick. Yes, he is. One of the worst movies ever captured on film. The history of how that movie got made and what happened with Josh Trank is funny. Is better than that film ever could be. In another uh, five years, there's going to be a mo- there's going to be a fictionalized version of that movie being made, a la Ed Wood or the Disaster Artist, and it's going to be better <laughs> than Four Stick. Yeah, for sure. Get a job. Didn't see it with the Arr, Anna Kendrick, my the future ex Mrs. Rattledge at Anna Kendrick. Um, War Dog. Entirely too many future ex wives and War Dogs. I don't have I don't have nearly enough ex future ex wives. First of all, don't 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 you tell me how many future ex wives I'm allowed to have. Thank you, sir. 
but yeah, uh, War Dogs is fantastic. I love War Dogs. You, you, <laughs> me, you, me. Uh, bleed for this. Didn't see it. Okay. Only the Brave. Oh, I forgot he ruined that movie. <laughs> and then finally, thank you for your service. I don't know why he agreed to do that. That's not a good like that movie has weight. That movie has a bunch of problems, and believe it or not, I think he's on the low end of what's wrong with it. Um, gonna leave that there until somebody comes up with a better comment. All right, Dude, so <laughs> I've done worse, um, and we, will in the future. Did, did you catch our coverage of Thor versus uh, Eddie? What's his face? Where um, I, I had friends like writing in comments, and somebody put up the the, the comment about the pig's orgasm. Uh, that vaguely catches my memory. Yes. Yeah. That's how that, that's how that, what that devolved into was people just sending me random facts and me putting them on the board. If one was funnier than the other. Um, all right. So let's talk about Spiderhead. Spiderhead is a talky movie, which you can have a talky movie. It's fine, but you have to be, uh, saying things of interest. The problem with this movie is you, don't get a sense of what the stakes are. Um, the movie lacks in any kind of dramatic tension. I mean, you are physically, you are you, you can be drawn in, I think, to the individual scenes, but then the movie kind of plays like a like a movie filled with sketch com uh, sketches, like Amazon Women on the Moon or something, or a Kentucky Fried movie, only not nearly as funny. It just felt it. Everything feels kind of disconnected. Yeah, th there's a there's a few major problems here. One of them, like you mentioned, there's a real lack of connective tissue. Yeah. Two, Hemsworth does such a good job of being a smarmy douchebag that you almost root for him in a lot of respects. Uh, because... This movie in the writing did the same thing that Lovecraft Country did, and this annoyed me when that when that show did it, and that was a uh, that was a much better film uh, series than this was. So I give that a little bit more leeway. I had a problem with it there. It felt like they got to the end of Lovecraft Country and went, "Oh wait, our villain hasn't actually done anything villainous, other than be yeah. a white woman in the South in the '50s." She wasn't even really that, if you get into it, but that. Lovecraft Country is weird. Wonderfully so. So, hey, at the 11th hour, here's her plan, and she's going to do these heinous things. And uh, and it, it it almost comes out of left field because that is so not the vision of the character you get up until that point. You get a little bit of that here with Hemsworth. Mm -hmm. uh, you get the sense that he's off. Like, he, this is your antagonist, and he... For all the bad reviewers who talk about gaslighting characters in film, this is how it's done right. Like, he does a marvelous job of twisting you around to his way of thinking with his words in ways that uh, lesser, a lot of other uh, dialogue uh, writers and whatnot just can't even come close to. His, it's really, really good. Yeah. But you, always, you almost do kind of wonder... And I think the movie realized, I think in the writing process, they kind of realized that we've toned this down in some respects. So there, we don't actually have the genuine ethical question that is theoretically being presented here for uh, present. So he 
has to do terrible things in order to be the villain at the end. And so, by the way, you guys should have been free a while ago. And I bang my head into the wall because that's not how that works. And he, he goes off the rails at the 11th hour to try and justify his villainy, his, his villainous role in the narrative structure. Yeah. And, and it doesn't quite work. Uh, the real downside here is that this is what they're fundamentally dealing with. There's a there's like one there's several bits of questions where Miles Teller tries to make a statement and it's the the obvious rejoinder from Hemsworth is not said because they don't actually the writing here is not actually smart enough to deal with the question he would pose. Like Teller talking about, no, oh, what about free will? And the obvious response is I've been making you dance like a puppet this whole time, and you want to talk about free will? What is free will other than chemicals? But of course, they can't say that because they want you to empathize with the position that Miles Teller is taking rather than Chris Hemsworth. So it it's this is a story that thinks it's so much smarter than it is, and it's a real problem. This this movie comes across as very smug. Like, look at us talking about chemical engineering and utopian design and all of these high-minded ideas. And you're just doing it badly, and it cheapens the entire viewing experience. I mean, the only saving grace for this movie is, I, I genuinely believe this, is Hemsworth's performance, which is top-notch, like, good on him for elevating this. You don't do a whole lot with your setting. You don't do a whole lot with your premise. You talk too much without saying anything of value. Your lead protagonist is a box of hammers. <laughs> There's just... <laughs> just an empty skull. Uh, you... There's just nothing here. There's a germ of an idea that, that's been explored better and in more compelling ways in so many other uh, stories. Yeah. There, there's nothing here. Yeah, the only... <clears throat> so... Unless you like pro- Miles Teller engaging in simulated uh, Hollywood sex. I mean, that was a fun scene, uh, if you like that sort of thing. But here, here's the only thing I'm going to say about this, and then we can just move on to Father of the Bride. The biggest problems I have with, with Spiderhead is if you want to have a meditation on free will versus control, you have to present it in a way that deals with the, with the consequences of those things as, as they happen on the movie itself. It's a lot of philosophizing and it's a lot of uh, discussion amongst the characters, but even but even the discussions themselves, you know, are not really rising to the level of engaging with the audience. They just kind of it's just people kind of shouting their positions at each other, uh, almost like Fox News style. And there's I don't get anything out of that. Plus, it's you're Twitter. in this. It's Twitter dialogue half the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's Twitter come to life. And then you have this really, really drab setting. So if you would, you know, a movie like this, the way to do it is to give you a setting that is engaging, at least, or colorful, or, you know, or if you don't want to do colorful, at least, you know, oppressive in some kind of way. This looks like they, this looks like they just kind of shot this thing in a, you know, in a nondescript room somewhere, and there's nothing else really to it. You know, the comparison to Oz, just as an example of, you know, things in prison. Prisons can, especially the ones captured on film, can be made to look very ominous. Like the Shawshank Redemption. That prison has a a personality all of its own. That is a character in that movie. You name the movie after the setting, and then the setting is kind of a nothing place. Yeah, yeah, like that's a real failure of understanding the 
Mm-hmm. When, believe it or not, like the first interaction most people are going to have with your movie or your book or whatnot is the title, and the title makes promises to the consumer, to the reader, to the viewer. And if you sell it as something to do with a location, then said location does need to feature. I mean, for God's sake, at least uh, at least Skyscraper, where The Rock plays a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest <laughs> and still wins because he's The Rock. The Skyscraper itself did have some personality. I mean... right. Uh, the, the setting was key for the disaster movie San Andreas. I'm talking about The Rock again. <laughs> uh, but you, this is kind of what we're... You, you mentioned Shawshank. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, even Oz. Like, Oz, Oz that prison but has a personality, depending so on what block you're in. Let's talk about a classic, Die Hard. I mean, oh, yeah. there's, there's a lot that makes Die Hard what it is, but it's nothing without the building in and of itself. That building is a critical element in how that movie plays out. Million percent. Absolutely million percent. Yeah. So trying to make this about the prison, ostensibly making it about the prison and then not making it about the prison is a real, you're causing some real disconnect with your audience there. And yeah. that's a serious problem. All right. Um, I think we're done with Spiderhead. Spiderhead, if you, if it's on Netflix, if you've got nothing to do and can't sleep, sure. It'll put you real, to sleep real fast. If you're really into Miles Teller and you want to hear him, you want to see him, you know, bang some broad. I guess that's it's right up your alley. But twice. I, I, I tw twice, yeah. Uh, I, I cannot recommend Spiderhead though. I, not, not great. Uh, yeah, absolutely not. All right. So, uh, last but not least, is the Father of the Bride, 2022 film. We went from the good to the bad to the solidly meh. <laughs> yeah uh father of the bride is a 2022 american romantic comedy film directed by gaz alas uh gaz alas uh has made a bunch of stuff nobody in america has ever seen uh um, it happens it's a lot of a lot of not english stuff here um not, not an english title in the bunch moving on uh, uh you want to try and pronounce some of his movies not even a little based on the <laughs> 1949 novel of the same name by Edward Streeter. The film stars Andy Garcia, Gloria Estefan. Come to your body, let me do that conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Uh, Adria Ariona, Isabella Merced, Diego Boneta, and Chloe Feynman. Uh, it is a third filmed version of the story after the original 1950 film and the 1991 remake. Uh, it was produced by Plan B Entertainment and was released on June 16th, the day before Spiderhead, on HBO Max. Um, I think uh, Steve people... the Steve Martin version of this is still the best version of this story for the record. Um, yeah, so I've I think people are most familiar with the Steve Martin version. I think there was a sequel to it, wasn't there? The Father, Father of the Bride, of the Bride Part Two, where Diane Keaton and Steve Martin's daughter, Diane Keaton plays his wife, where the mother and daughter are pregnant at the same time. Yeah, it's actually pretty. All right, so um. So with me, yeah, there you are. <laughs> your 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 brother uh, cheering me on here. <laughs> all right, all right. For, for, raise your hand if you want to hear me mispronounce a bunch of Spanish names. I will I will do so at the end of the review. I am not raising my hand. I do not like, I'm not asking. I, I already know you want me to do it, but that's so that you. No, can... no, no. I don't want you to do it. I'm just giving you grief about it. I don't need to hear you butcher another okay. language. All right. Well, Alex, we have one hand from Alex already. Um, let me put this up on there. The uh, the actual original, I guess the 1951 version, according to my producer, uh, thinks that she, that was the best one. But I'll tell I, you, I will enter. 
I will entertain the argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I will maintain that Steve Martin's version is the best, but the original is the original is very, very good. And if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth your time. Yeah. All righty. Um, so I, I threw this one on here. I was curious about it. I actually didn't realize that it was a Latin X remake. Uh, I, I, I just... It was a whole, <laughs> don't you sigh at me, sir. Um, Seriously, that entire thing springs up because there's a bunch of morons with too much time on their hands going, well, should language be gendered? Never mind either. that every romance, every romance language in the world does this. French does it. Latin does it. Italian does it. Okay. Anywho. Port- Portuguese does it. I knew nothing of this Father of the Bride remake. It was on a list of films that I was monitoring that were coming to HBO Max. So it was around the same time as this one. Uh, when I had to revamp my schedule, I was like, I need a third film here. This one looks good. you know. And I think you never know what's going to be a part of the conversation, the cultural conversation going on on social media. You never know what film is going to, you know, like, like, don't look up, for example. It's one that we covered. We talked extensively about. Um it's, it's funny to bring up Don't Look Up Now because that's an Adam McKay jam and we're actually going to be talking about his new series, Winning Time, this Thursday, uh, myself and Jason Teasley. It's just, uh, you did never the, know. Did he unfairly characterize one guy as a villain? Did he? Did <laughs> uh, he? You'll find out Thursday. I know uh, he did. I, I need you to tell the audience. <laughs> I'm not saying which one. I'm just, okay. did he? Did he unfairly I, recast a real person as a much worse version of himself for the sake of drama? There, there may be a character in this who's the real life person's not going to be happy about his betrayal. And should uh, sue. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the point here being, I you just never know which one of these streaming movies is going to capture culture, uh, p- collective imaginations, and which ones are going to be forget about forgettable. Like we talked about cheaper by the dozen, and that sent you off into a tizzy. But you know, no one was really talking about it. Uh, but occasionally something does come up, like don't look up and you're like, Oh, Hey, you know, we should watch this. People are talking about it. So I figured we'll check out father of the bride. How bad could this be? I ended up watching it's, this with, I ended the record, up watching it's with, not bad. It's yeah. just, it's solidly meh. Um, you know, it was a, you could a, not get a more, you could not get a more forgettable film than this. Yeah. This is almost two hours total. Yeah. And it's like too long. It's one of those movies where I think, and we'll, we'll get into the plot of it in just a second. But I, this new Father of the Bride is one of those where if you're not like a film star or anything, you're just looking for something to watch on TV. There are other worse ways to spend your time than watching this one. This was, I, when I, 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 this was a casual watch on the couch. And when it was over, I, I had some thoughts as I was watching it, which I'll, I'll talk about in a second. But I think overall, I was like, okay, well, we watched it now. On to the next thing. You know, it, it, it definitely sits firmly in the center of easily digestible content easily it's not, just digest- and digestible. it's not just digestible this is utterly disposable maybe that's it even a better me- word it is meant to be observed and then tossed aside yeah this is this is not going to be on any on anyone's like year end oh my god must see list but that's a lot of what streaming media is now it's just content for the sake of content and we've and we've only said that on every podcast for the last two years that's true <laughs> renowned architect Billy played by Andy Garcia and his wife Ingrid uh, Gloria Estefan Herrera are a Miami based Cuban American couple with two daughters two recent law school graduates Sophia Adriana Rona are Ar- Ariona and rebellious aspiring fashion designer Cora Isabella Merced 
at couples counseling, Ingrid tells Billy that she has had enough of his workaholic attitude and stubbornness and wants a divorce, like you do. Their counselor tells them that their daughter's right away, Ingrid tells them to tell their daughters right away. Ingrid wants to announce it later that day after Sophia arrives for a visit, but Sophia first announces that she is engaged to be married to fellow lawyer Aiden Castillo, played by Diego Boneta, and that they want to marry in one month. Billy and Ingrid agreed to keep their divorce a secret until uh, after the wedding. Billy is hesitant about Sophia's nuptials and her desire to move to Mexico with Aiden to work at a nonprofit instead of remaining in the United States. The two further disagree as Billy wants a big traditional Cuban wedding, while Sophia and Aiden want a smaller ceremony. Meanwhile, Sophia asks Cora to make her wedding gown and her bridesmaid dresses, disgruntling their eccentric wedding planner, Natalie Vance, played by Chloe Feynman. Aiden's wealthy father, Herman, Pedro Damien, and the rest of his family arrive in Miami. Hernan and Billy disagree further on the coast and scale of the wedding. Hernan offends Billy by offering to pay for what Billy cannot afford. Hernan throws a lavish engagement party. This this constitutes like the big conflict of the movie on his yacht instead. Herman also obtained a lavish mansion on Miami Island and offers to hold the wedding there, causing a shouting match. <laughs> it's like a lightsaber duel. But Latinx. But, but the kind <laughs> but the kind of thing you want to desperately fast forward through because it doesn't serve any purpose. Yeah. Uh, between him and Billy, who admits, you know what it reminded me of when Nikolai Volkov used to sing the Russian anthem in the middle of the ring? <laughs> like, yeah. It was like that yeah. level of Carney, you know what I mean? Um, who admits his dislike of Aiden in the Castillos. Billy appeases Sophia at her dress fitting and confides the divorce to Aiden at the latter's bachelor party. A storm warning threatens the upcoming ceremony. Uh, the families proceed to the wedding rehearsal where Cora overhears Billy talking about the divorce to his cousin, Junior, and immediately breaks the news to the rest of the guests. Sophia is disgusted by her parents, and Aiden have been hiding it from her, but reconciles once more that her father agrees to push through with the wedding. The stormy night, the Herrera family spend the night together. The next day, the weather has cleared, but the storm has collapsed only the, to the only bridge to the wedding venue, and has destroyed much of the setup. The Herreras and Castillas pool, pull their resources to throw the wedding last minute at the Herrera home, because of course they do, with Natalie officiating. Sony, Sophie and Aiden marry with Billy's full approval while Billy and Ingrid rekindle their romance. All right. I'm just going to start. I'll stop the conversation here. Um, and then we can. <clears throat> here's another Here's another use for Father of the Bride. It's a good palate cleanser after Spiderhead. Sure. There's a lot um, of things that would be an appropriate palate cleanser after Spiderhead. Yeah, like a broomstick to the head. Um. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> I was going to make a much darker joke. <laughs> Anywho, um, I'm going to go right off and tell you what my initial like negative reaction to this movie was. Um, so you and I have talked about the portrayals of men, men, men um, in theater in in cinema. And, uh, it's usually negative. It's kind of the thing that my grandmother used to talk about with like a, a portrayal of Italians where it's like they're either dummies or mafia. Like there's no in between. Um, and I feel like Father of the Bride in, in making Andy Garcia uh, the focal character where he has to go on this journey of self-discovery and find out that, you know, there are ways to connect with his family and be a better version of himself so that he can both give and receive love and keep his marriage together that is on the verge of uh, falling to pieces when we meet him. And his great sin in life was that he worked hard. <laughs> and, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, that, yeah. like, that's it. That's what the movie tells us at the beginning. Like, when that initial scene where he's in therapy with, with his wife, I remember just turning and looking at Melissa. I'm like, why? Why is this the great sin of men right now? Is that, God forbid, you work hard and take care of your family. And maybe, maybe you work a little too hard and you're a little, t- you know, too much into what you're doing. But God help you. That you didn't pay enough attention to your family at just the right time. That's it. Fuck right off. <laughs> like divorce. Everyone leaves you. You just sit in a cold, dark room forever, just is, being a man. Like it is really? the <laughs> it is the worst of all. If I might, just for a moment, if you are not financially successful to a certain level you are going to struggle to find someone who wishes to be with you. Yeah. This is a thing. I mean, there's, uh, there's that terrible, like bit of online dating advice that someone had to have like the three sixes. <laughs> yeah. At least six feet tall, at least six <laughs> figures in annual income and at least six inches. Feel free to insert, <laughs> feel free to take from that what you will, but that use, that was a thing that floated on the internet. Hang on. Continue. But <laughs> nobody wants to. I'm no, a tumor, no one I'm wants to. Tumor. I'm a tumor. I'm a tumor. <laughs> no one wants to live with the reality that it takes to be that yeah. successful. No one fall. Almost like, no one here, falls here, backwards into that kind of success. You work, and that takes time, and that takes well, energy. Here, here's what kills me about that. As a man, you are valued with by your ability to provide for other people. Yes. I mean, yes, there are other things that go into that as well. Your looks, right? There are, you know, your ability to father children, I think, in some cases. But I think it's like the most, when you, when people talk about a potential, uh, when people talk about like a, a potential man as a mate, the thing... <laughs> I'll get to it in a second. The thing that everyone thank focuses you to, thank on. Thank you to my brother for being for pointing out the latent <laughs> hypocrisy in that sentiment. It's true. Hang on, for people. I'll just address it now. Then, but a man says, "I prefer big boobs." The entire world explodes. You ain't fucking kidding, Alex. Here's to you, brother. Um, I. It just drives me crazy because, like, I get that. As somebody who has thrown himself on his hands and knees begging for forgiveness for being a little neglectful of my own family uh, over the last couple of years for a variety of reasons, not the least of which was I was trying to recover from cancer, um, I get that as as a provider, you are still obligated to focus on your family, your wife and kids husband and kids whatever your situation is I, I i do understand that but i think the i think what i'm trying to drive home is my problem with father of the bride is that there's no nuance in that discussion yeah it's just he worked hard he neglected his family his family turned on him he is trying to find his way back to them that's the whole story and i'm like can we not have a better conversation about this sort of thing when the first problem is the expectation is that all men must take care of everybody else or they are not worthy of being a man? 
because I think there's a lot there to unpack. And it's like, no, 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 no. Let's just pave right over it and go right to men suck. And it's like, come on, man. I I struggled with this movie for that reason alone. And it's like, it's not that a ba- it's a badly written movie or anything. It's just one of those where they've sat around like, what is this movie going to be about? Uh, it's about a father who, you know, worked hard and neglected his family and his wife wants to divorce him. And that's the backdrop to this, to this wedding that's going to happen. Father of the bride. And I'm like, it... Once again, shallow pool of ideas, Hollywood writers. Shallow pool. Extremely. You're entirely right that there should be a more nuanced conversation here. And the initial bit when they're talking in the therapist's office, mm-hmm. and she says to him, you know, I thought at this, I thought by this point in our lives, we could be living our lives. Our kids are, you know, out of the house. They're graduating. You know, one of them's graduated from college. One of them is kind of a mess. But we have worked hard, the both of us. We have raised our children. We shouldn't still be doing that. By this point in our lives, we should be ready and getting ready to move on to enjoy the, for want of a better expression, the sunset era of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I think, and that's a nuanced, valid point. That's her going... But you know, I, you never, I understand. You never get his counter to that. You realize, like, he never gets a say in the argument. His, it, the only, the closest thing he gets to one is him going, "Yeah, but our second daughter's a screw up, and you know we're going to be supporting her, so I can't afford to slow down." And it, it's a nothing argument. It, it really yeah. is. But like, and you never, I, I, well, hang on. I agree with. I do agree with you that that's mm-hmm. that, that's when things start falling apart. Is when he, he whatever he might say to that is so inane is so uh so like not not i still have goals i still have dreams or i don't know what else to do this is hard have you not heard people who have dedicated themselves to dedicated themselves to their work for decades and you're just supposed to turn it off you're just supposed to switch hit a switch hit a switch robert winfrey and your whole decades-long dedication to your career should just go away and you're a different dude like believe me i no no no, you're entirely right like i cover mixed martial arts for those of you who don't know and fighters retire Mm -hmm. and you if you wonder why some fighters hold on for much longer than they should this is part of the reason believe it or not Mm -hmm. they have dedicated for some of them like if you, especially if you get, talk about people who have like uh, significant wrestling backgrounds, like a lot of them will have started wrestling in their like early double digits, like not even yeah. teens. What was it? Ben Henderson started Taekwondo in like elementary school. Leoto Machida started karate when he was three. Yeah. Now, granted, now again, this is not to say there's not other things you can do with these skills and whatnot, but mm-hmm. if you're going to succeed, especially if we're talking about athletics and we're not in the case of Andy Garcia, but the point is still true. Right. If you're going to succeed and achieve at a high level at something like that, something that competitive, something that difficult to achieve in, it takes a tremendous amount of focus, of will, and of dedication. And when it's time to put that aside, you have to be ready for that. Right. Like that's not that is not a switch you can throw. If you're used to training and going into camp and you know the fight adjust all of that grind. All right. If you suddenly have to just wake up one morning and go, well, I'm retired. 
What is yeah. there now? You know what movie dealt with this in a, weirdly in like the best way? I think Space Jam. Specifically, You're not wrong. It's Michael Jordan like struggling with what am I supposed to do with life after basketball? And he tries baseball because I got to do something competitive and him like meditating. Like I know everyone's like fucking space jam, the bugs bunny movie. Yeah. Watch that movie again, just for the Michael Jordan scenes. He's not a good actor. Not why you watch that movie, but he tries in the subtext in what they're trying to do with Michael Jordan is him meditating on what am I supposed to do? I've been this basketball player. I've been this athlete since I could walk. And now it's it's gone away from me. I don't I've accomplished everything I'm supposed to do, that everything that you can do in the sport. I'm trying another sport because I don't know what to do with myself. Because here's the thing about personality and thought patterns. That stuff solidifies over years. Like it's fluid yeah. as a kid. It starts to harden as you get to be a teenager. And then once you're in your 20s, you're kind of it. Your personality is sort of intact. And then it's just sediment upon sediment upon sediment on top of your, your way of thinking and behaving. And then you're asked in your 40s to suddenly take on an entirely different way of thinking and being. And if you don't do it fast enough, you end up in divorce. Is that what we're saying, father of the bride? Like, that's fucked up. It, it is. You know? and- and because because the, the movie wants you to say yes, and Andy Garcia is a bad guy, and he needs to change, and he needs to change like yesterday. And I'm like, boy, does that not take into consideration anything about actual human behavior or feelings? No, it really doesn't. And again, like when so when her point was, you know, I would I I want to move on to the next phase of our lives together, and I feel mm-hmm. like, and you know, what's your hesitance here? And the only problem is her response isn't she's not asking what's your hesitant. She's screech she's a screeching howler monkey going, get over here. <laughs> and he's going, Don't you understand? No. And yeah. it's a lost opportunity to have a more nuanced discussion about this. I think you're entirely correct there. And it is a big problem with this film that they just only cast Andy Garcia as the one who's gotta change. He's the right. one who has to learn to meet everyone else. Like and it's such a again, it's such a missed opportunity because well, it feels it's like okay. what we talk about with like the Marvel movies where it's like the only way to get over is to be completely denuded. I, I, it drives yeah. me crazy. Like, let's just strip everything about this guy away from him that made him him. And when he's an empty shell of who he once was and a complete doormat, yay, victory. Yeah, it's it, it's a real problem. Um, this movie is too long. <laughs> This movie clocks in at uh, t- two hours. <laughs> there's there's not a two-hour story here. There just isn't. Um, uh, on the positive side of things, if you're going to retell a story like this that's been told several times, you do need to do something with it. And I think they they don't go as far as they could with... Uh, with setting and whatnot, but changing the location and setting it against a different cultural backdrop is a like those are the kind of things that it that you should change when you do this. Sure, I'm. I was. I was. I, I won't keep doing the Latin next thing because it seems to you know as much as I enjoy tweaking your nipple <laughs> and I do, I, it, like I've done it now two and three times. Um, look, I, I think doing a a different you know the same I, familiar just... plot with with a different with a different ethnicity. Yeah, I'm all for that. That's fine. 
Yeah, that's fine. Can I just say, just loosely related to that, mm-hmm. the bit where the wedding planner is like, "Hey, flamingo dancing and flamingos," and he's like, "What the, f- what the f?" <laughs> yeah, like, we're Cuban. He's Mexican. They're Spanish. What are you doing? <laughs> Here's the thing: the father of the bride is not all bad, and if you're not like you know sensitive to current the, the current problem, the current problems of the white man that I am here speaking for, don't you understand? Well, well, apparently now it's not just the white man; it's all men. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, or or at least, or at least all um. Uh, what, what we we, we here at Rattling and Broadcasting, we. <laughs> We here at Rattle and Broadcasting Network, you know, are here to represent fucking men. Um, anyway, uh, so I miss movies for guys who like movies. I'm just gonna. I say really it. do. <laughs> I... <laughs> you and your daughter could have so many great evenings together on the couch watching movies for guys who like movies. Hey, Lily, when I'm done with the podcast, we're watching Commando because you need to see men, big meaty men, slapping meat and wearing camouflage. Um, Your daughter hasn't seen Commando? No, I have not watched Commando with my daughter yet. You need to fix that. Look, look really she's, she's probably still not ready for Roadhouse. I'm sorry, what now? Should I get Wooly at the end of the podcast? No, go away from me, kid. You bother me. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, I just said, like, you're probably she's probably not quite ready to understand the greatness of Roadhouse, but Commando <laughs> should have been done by now. Hey, look, I... <laughs> They didn't do a remake of it starring fucking, you know, Jai Courtney. So I haven't gotten to it yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. Um, it's, it's coming. Where, so. where Jai Courtney is not actually the hero, it's the female pilot that's played by the same pilot from, Jura- from Jurassic World Dominion, who is now the... There you go. <laughs> Why it, did I say it? Why did I... Now it's going to become real. I put that out there and there's some dumbass... <laughs> Who's gonna think that's a great idea? And I'm just gonna have to go shoot somebody. There's a there's a triple feature we need to do: fucking Commando, Cobra, and Roadhouse. Pat I Mull, am Pat down. will be <laughs> Pat Mull will be naked, throbbing, erect penis on camera, ready okay. to go. Okay. Camouflage. No, no, no nudity on camera, but I am absolutely <laughs> down. You, me, and Pat can talk those three movies any day of the week. We will be here for twelve hours. It'll be a marathon podcast. Worth it. Worth every <laughs> single minute. Great. I'm cutting back. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, Father of the Bride. It's like, like there are, to your point, there were funny parts to it. There were things that I was amused by. And when I got past the Andy Garcia is a shit because he hit, because he worked hard um, with no counter argument. I provided that. a great living for my family <laughs> and put my daughter through one of the most expensive law schools in the country. You monster! You know? Oh, <laughs> I am history's greatest monster. <laughs> Fucking Hitler, dedicated dad. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, Successful architect left. in Miami. I'm on a magazine cover. <laughs> yeah. Cuban immigrant makes good. Fuck this guy. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I know! <laughs> It's so stupid. It's so um, bad. Anyway, there are funny parts in the, of the movie. There are you know, there are amusing little things that happen throughout the movie. Also in the good category, I like the chemistry between Andy Garcia and Gloria Estefan. I think yeah. they have I think they have a good I think they work on camera together very, very well. So kudos to them. Like they they give you that kind of old married vibe. Yeah, uh, and that's a hard thing to pull off sometimes. I don't remember the last thing Gloria Estefan was in. I should look it up real quick. But I thought she did an extent. First of all, I did not even realize that was her at first. But I thought she did an, an outstanding job as. And here, I'm. Here's the thing. 
I've, I've bitched and complained for the last 20 minutes now about the treatment of Andy Garcia in this movie. It's not her fault. Like, her character is presented as it, as it is. And I think she does a good job with that character. And I really did, in the, in the one scene where, she, where they're talking about, like, boy, have I been there, by the way. Like, what are the rules? Like, what are we doing here? Like, am I allowed to hold your hand? Can we kiss? Can we dance? And she's just like, I fucking had it with you. <laughs> you know, like, I, you know. And then it's like, what are you, who are you texting? You texting your boyfriend? Yes. I'm texting my boyfriend to say, when am I serving you with divorce papers? Ouch. <laughs> oh, oh, my heart. <laughs> that sucked. And she did, she did great with that scene, is my point. She put on a, a really, like stellar performance might be overselling it, but I really did think she, for what they asked her to do, she did an outstanding job. Yeah. Uh, so that was good. Um, again, I think they do enough with the setting. Like you, you are aware of where you are in the world. She has a and... lot of voice roles as near as I can tell, like her yeah. filmography, this, and then she was in vivo, which is a voice role. She was in a change of heart. She was in G force, which I think is a voice role. And then, like, not a lot. So it's not like she has a tremendous amount of... Just looks like she has more um, television time than she's got uh, screen time. Feature that time, makes sense. Say. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, she's not a great actress. She works right. here. Yeah. And she, do, and she absolutely does what is asked of her here, whether that's yeah. just her natural state of being or her ability to act. I couldn't tell you one way or the other, but she, is, she was absolutely right for this role. Yeah. I think they do enough with the setting of Miami. Uh I mean, because I mean, the Steve Martin one is set in California. I mm. think it's in Los Angeles because the groom's uh, parents live in like the biggest mansion in Bel Air. Mm -hmm. And that's actually one of my favorite Steve Martin lines from that movie is, oh, well, let's go meet the new in-laws. Oh, great. They're in Bel Air. Probably the one shack in the place. And they pull up and oh, great. No, it's worse. The bi the biggest house. Yeah. Like the only thing worse than the worst one would be the best. <laughs> Well, the last thing I'm going to say about this so that we can end before two hours um, in the hour podcast that I planned is <laughs> who knew we had something to talk about. Um, I thought the the daughters, again, I'm going to I'm going to applaud the screenwriting for this because the tendency to write the daughters as shrill and awful and kind of like Cinderella's like wicked stepsisters, uh, they managed to pull back from that. Yeah. And I actually think the lead daughter in this was very sympathetic. Uh, I understood her point of view. I thought she was earnest. I, I would say that's the, probably the biggest quality in that performance and in that characterization. There's an earnestness that's there that made her an appealing character to follow and you wanted her to have a nice wedding. Like, like as an audience member, you're cheering for her to have the nice wedding because she's not a shithead. And even the, the, mess, da the mess daughter you know, gets to have her moment and there's enough conflict in there to kind of keep it going. It's just, you know, it's this, this all, I guess it also depends on whether or not this is the kind of genre for you. If this is the kind of thing you like, you'll probably get a lot of uh, out of father of the bride. I kind of watched it just, just to review it. So you know, it's not really my thing, but I am trying to, as I was telling Sean, when we, when we talked fire Island, I'm really, really trying to stretch out of the kind of stuff we normally do here. And, we, and you know, two years ago, there's no way we would have reviewed Father of the Bride. So, you know, um, despite the fact that it's not my genre, I still think it was a competently made movie, despite the missed opportunity to really have a discussion of what is the nature of husband and fatherhood. 
I'll give you the last word and we'll move on. Uh, yeah, I, I again, I'm going to close on a negative because I mean, are. <laughs> and we love you for it. <laughs> uh, but like you mentioned, there's some good stuff here. There are some funny moments. Not Andy Garcia is not a great comedian. No. And I think, I think that's to the movie's detriment. And I don't think they wrote it to be more comedic. I think they wrote right. when they knew they had Andy Garcia, they wrote it to be more melancholic, which is yeah. more in his wheelhouse. Yeah. You still get bits of levity. You get some moments where uh, the relationships here, apart from the fact that everyone is badgering this poor father, when you get away from that, the relationships between the characters are actually kind of nice. Like you see bits of uh, Andy Garcia and his oldest daughter and how they've bonded. Like yeah. she walks in when they're watching a fight that you and I actually called. <laughs> uh, Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz, uh, I believe it was their rematch. Yep. Like they're watching that on the big screen and she walks in in the middle of it and he and her immediately just start watching and talking about the fight together. And there's an obvious rapport there for the characters yeah. that was able to come across very naturally. So another really, uh, another positive. So the character interactions when you're not dealing with kind of the overarching theme of boy, dads suck. <laughs> I mean, because you even you even get a little bit of that with like the Mexican billionaire. Fathers right? and husbands are the worst people. I mean, you even get a little bit of that with the Mex. Uh, there was one line, one little like interaction here that really kind of cheesed me off, just because mm -hmm. it, it spoke to the kind of ethos that this movie was operating under. Yeah. When the like new wife and the ex-wife are good friends, mm -hmm. and Gloria Estefan goes, "I thought you two hated each other. No, nah, we just like to make him think we're fighting over him." And she goes, you two have reached an enlightened state of being. I just wanted to throw something. <laughs> well, Robert like Winfrey, as we all know, um, men are terrible. Like, that's just bad writing. It's just, it's not as clever as you think it is. It's really not. I, here's, um, I, 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 here's a question I want to ask you really, really quick. And I don't want to spend too, like, I literally want to end in like the next five minutes. But yeah, yeah. I, I do wonder when they're, when they're, sitting around in Frankenstein's laboratory and they're trying to construct these uh, films for streaming, I wonder how much of a consideration is, eh, this is just for an American audience. Like, the rest of the world doesn't even get HBO Max, so who fucking cares? And they're, and they're thinking, okay, well, if it's just for an American audience, then you know, what what, what Americans want? And then, then you have that fundamental disconnect between what Hollywood writers think people want and what they actually want. Because I can't... I can't imagine there was a sober conversation where they were just like, what real, what men, what, what the people really want is a movie about how much men are terrible. Um, that, and that's what, so that's what we'll give them. It's like, what a, what an isolated circle fiction writers of Hollywood are, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a real circle jerk. <laughs> All right. Well, circle jerk is the phrase that pays here on the Rattle Engine Broadcasting <laughs> Network. So <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about the week that's coming. Um, speaking of which, tomorrow, my friend Dave, who I haven't spoken to in years, he's my friend, my buddy from the Navy. Um, I wasn't in the Navy. He was in the Navy. He, my I was buddy. about to say, like, I, I have a pretty decent timeline of your life in my head. I didn't think you were ever in the Navy. Yeah, between the porn company and the social work, I was in the Navy. Um, I so, mean, <laughs> I, I there are worse transitions to make than working for 
Yeah. <laughs> anyway, a um, rather heinous individual <laughs> to social work. Yeah. Brief stop over in the Navy in between. Two year itch. Who doesn't? Um, so anyway, uh, he wanted to. He contacted me and he was like, "Hey, can we do the Montreal screw job?" And then I'm like, "Can we talk about it? Like, watch it and talk about it." I'm like, "Up, oh, sure." So uh, I threw that on there. We're gonna do that tomorrow before I take my dad out for Father's Day. Uh, and then in the evening, we got another. Uh, DMU Hollywood double feature. We're gonna be re- reviewing Lightyear, which I get to use my I get to use my bomb sound for that. Yikes! Blew up on the launch pad. That one did. It um, opened below expectations. To got some someone in Disney is going to figure out that you don't have to court disaster like this. <laughs> Eventually, they've lost enough money. Anyway, so we're gonna do Lightyear, and then we're gonna do Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, which came out actually in May. Uh, on Wednesday, we've got our Lordy Skeletric uh, Dinosaur review that we'll be doing. Um, and then on Thursday, I mentioned Adam McKay before. If you haven't watched uh, Vice or Don't Look Up, you really should. Adam McKay, uh, I, I enjoy him as a director. Uh, very stylistic. One of the more interesting people out there. He directed uh, and I think produced a miniseries on HBO called Winning Time, Rise of the Lakers. Um, so it's the history of like Matt, uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, so if you're, you know, into the, into the history of basketball and, you know, this glory era of the Lakers, it's, I, I liked it. I, I'm anxious to talk about it with Jason. We're going to do that Thursday night at, uh, nine or 10. <laughs> Whenever I get back from seeing G.I. Joe the movie, which is my Father's Day present from my family. Uh, and that is it for this week. What do you got going on? Wait, 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 Yes. Which GI Joe? The cartoon. They're doing a. They're, it's like the thirty or fortieth anniversary or some shit. Uh, so we got tickets to go see it. Probably closer to forty than thirty, which is depressing on so many levels. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> Look, that was mostly me. That was mostly for me to go. Like, if your if your family gave you a ticket to see Channing Tatum for Father's Day, like they don't like you very much. No, it's a cartoon. Okay. Um, but real, hope real you have quick, fun. I, I hope so. I think I will. Uh, I thought it was a very thoughtful gift from my family. But um, all right, go ahead. Go with your uh, with your plugs real quick. All right. I cover a bunch of stuff over at 411mania.com. Uh, this last week, it was AW's Dark Elevation, MLW's Fusion, WWE SmackDown, which... You know, two weeks ago, I got grief for not rating a show higher. This week, I gave a show a, it's not even a very high grade, but it was apparently too high for some of the malcontents out there. <laughs> Look, if that's what I'm getting, if I get a certain segment that tells me I'm underrating things and a different segment that tells me I'm overrating them, I know I'm about where I should be. All right. That's kind of my read on that. And I just appreciate that they're passionate enough to comment. Um, I covered UFC on ESPN 37 on Saturday, and boy, was that a night of violence. <laughs> um, tied the record for most TKO finishes on a UFC card with eight. Wow, you shitting me? No. Like, there were only three decisions all night, three or four. Mm-hmm. I think there were four. Yeah, there were four decisions out of 12 fights. Uh, or only three. Hang on, there were two women's fights. That okay, I think there were four. Then yeah, there were a bunch of knockouts. There was one submission. 
so my full coverage of that and my full report on that is in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. If you want to hear me talk about it in a bit more detail after the fact, Sunday, I hosted the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, as I do every Sunday. And I reviewed that. I previewed the upcoming card, which is not as good, and talked about other stuff from the combat sports world, including Arter Betterbiev just murdering Joe Smith Jr. Good grief. Yeah, I wanted to. I was watching um, rest, uh, the Chip and Dale movie with my son, and I'm like, okay, when this is over, I'll, I'll quick jump on ESPN. And it was then I saw, over. <laughs> I was say, then I know you're thinking, I'm like, never mind. No, no, no. Watch it. It's a. It's like a round and a half, and it is okay. utter destruction. Like, well, I mean, shocking. Like, Better BF is a monster. Um, I also on Sunday evening the sh- the podcast was delayed because I got roped into covering Impact Wrestling's Slam Anniversary, their celebration of 20 years. Mark, <laughs> of all the times that company has been a week away from utter catastrophe, 20 years later they're still here. That's why it was Sunday, actually, because it was the literal 20th anniversary Can't of knock their the first hustle, event. Baby. Can't knock the hustle, baby. 20, uh, 20 years of utter mediocrity, TNA impact. That is unfair. They have had <laughs> exceptionally good years. They have had exceptionally crappy years, too. But I mean, you know, you can't win them or lose them all, you know. I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right Wrap so, up, my, man. so my full coverage of that is up uh, my full report for that is in the wrestling zone uh, i'm gonna finish typing up my report for aw's dark elevation after as soon as we're done here then mlw on thursday ww on friday ufc on saturday and of course whatever other podcasting endeavors i have that mark went over uh very much looking forward to talking about Lightyear and chippendale tomorrow because it'll be good lighthearted, fair unless Lightyear just really pisses me off and i I doubt that it will. I'm thinking of doing the Chippendale review topless with just a bow tie. What do you think? I think that will get us banned on Twitch. Please don't do it. <laughs> okay. What if I just like point the camera like just here, but I'm still bow tie and topless? It's Look, whatever happens, whatever happens outside of frame is your business, but don't put it on camera. <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time someone said, hey, don't put that on camera. All right, folks. Um, stupid innuendo is out. Are you done? Uh, that yeah, pretty sure that's it. So, all right. Thank well, you as all. Had a lovely time talking about one exceptional movie, one totally forgettable movie, and one movie starring a human lizard brain. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, this was a two-hour podcast that I set for an hour because you and I can are some talky motherfuckers. Look, that if said, we were only if we were only talking about Spiderhead and Father of the Bride, we'd have been out of here in thirty minutes. Yeah, we really would have. All right, folks, thank you for joining us. Uh, For Robert Winfrey, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.